My father doesn't like custard. <laughs> I'm not really sure why. I mean, he likes eggs and he likes cream. He actually loves cream. And he likes sugar, but he doesn't like custard. And there wasn't any childhood trauma that involved custard, and he wasn't bullied by custard-wielding bullies, and nor did his <laughs> grandmother fall down the stairs and die after slipping on some custard that he had spilled. No, he just doesn't really like custard. And I inherited from my father a suspicion of custard. <laughs> I never tried it, but why would I? Because I didn't like it. You see, growing up, we never had custard in our house. And my mother is a great cook, you know, and, and a busy one. You know, there's always something on the go, and that included desserts. Desserts like apple crumble, the kind of dessert that almost cries out for a custard, but which remained stubbornly custardless in the Bliss House. You know, some years ago, well into my adulthood, I discovered that my mother actually loves custard, but she was hardly going to make it just for herself. My mother isn't the kind of woman who would make things just for herself. And by the time she had kids who were old enough and might have eaten it with her, well, by then it had sort of just fallen off her mental menu. And so the absence of custard became self-perpetuating. <laughs> and it wasn't like we spoke ill of custard in our house, you know, not like we did about, for example, shop-bought cakes. <gasps> we just didn't talk about it at all. Oh, I mean, it was something that we were technically aware of as existing in the world, but it had an indistinct, vague quality. You know, something we heard mentioned in passing by friends at school or, you know, referenced on TV or in books, but which didn't impinge on our lives in any way at all. You know, like ginger beer or Iceland or Protestants <laughs> or cocaine. <laughs> but even though we never spoke about custard or its absence in our lives, we did somehow well, subconsciously absorb its absence. And we subconsciously assumed, therefore, that there must be something wrong with custard, that somehow it didn't pass muster, this custard. <laughs> and so, though quite unintended by my parents, growing up in the Bliss House, I developed a deep suspicion of custard. I was in my mid-twenties before I discovered that custard is arguably the greatest of the many gifts that chickens have given the world. <laughs> now, I fucking love custard. It's a, a creamy, eggy delight. I could eat custard for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If I had to choose five foods to take to a desert island, custard would be two of them. If I had a child, I would have to be talked out of calling it custard. Even, and even after I was talked out of it, I can't guarantee that I wouldn't have just scribbled down custard as a middle name when the registrar's back was turned. <laughs> but my father doesn't really like custard. And I wasted 25 years worth of potential custard because I had inherited his custard phobia. I mean, it is amazing what we get from our parents. And the older I get, the more I realize just how much of me is made up of them. And some of those things they would be happier to claim than others. You know, if my mother hears this, she'll be rolling her eyes in her head and she'll be, you know, turning off the radio because apparently now I found a way to blame her for not liking custard. And, you know, for God's sake, she said to herself, she could have had custard any time he wanted. <laughs> but I got a lot of amazing things from them too. You know, my parents are principled people, you know, righteous people. And that is a funny, unfashionable, kind of old-timey word, you know, righteous. But that is what they are. They have a moral code a set of principles by which they live. They have a sense of what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And they will never do what they think is wrong, no matter what the cost may be. They will take a stand and suffer the consequences, come what may. And I have tried to inherit that from them. I may not have always succeeded, but I have tried. And they are fair. They've always given everybody a fair shot. And that is something I didn't have to try to inherit because it would be almost impossible to get out of our house without it because it was something my parents actively, by word and deed, bred into us. We had no choice in the matter. And they're stubborn. 
Now, they wouldn't necessarily put it that way, but they are. You know, once they have taken a stand, there's no budging them, and it can be a lethal combination. You know, for example, when I was growing up, my mother was Connacht Secretary of the Community Games. She was always off to meetings or on the phone to whomever, and we were dragged up and down the province to hold finishing line tapes or deliver results to the tannoy guy um, or give numbers to runners. And my mother gave years of her life to the community games. And then one day there was a row. There was a row about a young boy that my mother didn't even know, a boy about 10 or 11, if I remember, and who was on a football team of the town where he went to school with all his mates. But the boy lived a few miles from the town, and technically his house was in the next parish. And he was a good player, obviously actually a very good player, because another team raised an objection to him playing with his team. He should, they pointed out, be playing for the next parish. But the boy didn't want to play with the next parish. He didn't even know them. So there was a meeting. It was discussed, and it was voted on, and it was decided that the rules were the rules. And sure, if we didn't stick to the rules, it'd be absolute mayhem, and that was that. And for my mother, that was that. As far as she was concerned, this is exactly what the community games wasn't supposed to be about. This wasn't right, the poor lad, and she wasn't going to stand over it. She would take a stand, and so she quit. She stubbornly and fabulously quit on the spot. You know, a decision that hugely changed life in our house. Because the community games had been this huge thing in our house for years. And now it just wasn't. And my mother never questioned that decision because it was the right thing to do. In a weird way, that boy changed my life. But you can never really tell what's going to change your life. Four and a half years ago, I made a speech. I won't bore you all with the boring details, but suffice to say that I said some stuff on TV and some people were unhappy and sued me and RTE for defamation, an accusation that I thought, and I am speaking only for myself here, an accusation that I thought was unfair. And it annoyed me that it was unfair. And shortly after that, RTE paid out some money, a decision which left me feeling a little abandoned, dangling in the wind alone. And I thought, again, speaking only for myself, that that was also unfair. I didn't like it. So when I was invited to make a short speech at the Abbey Theatre, I thought I'd talk about this unfair thing that was annoying me. I hadn't up to that point had a proper chance to talk about the unfair thing because the lawyers had made everybody afraid to talk about it at all. But there were no lawyers in the Abbey. Well, my lawyer was there, and he thought it was an absolutely terrible idea, but I'm stubborn. I make speeches all the time. I'd made many before that one, and I've made many since. And they're usually quite well received by the people in the room, but... They don't generally go any further than the room. And this one would be no different, I assumed. I had no expectations, but that was fine. I wasn't making the speech because I thought it would change anything. I was just making the speech for me, on a principle, stubbornly against advice. I had no choice anyway. I had decided to take a stand like my parents would have, and I am stubborn. So I made the speech, and something totally unexpected happened. People connected with what I'd had to say in a way that no one could have anticipated or imagined. It spread from the Abbey and took on a life of its own, spreading literally around the world. And while a lot of people connected with it because they also experienced the same unfairness that I described, so many others connected with it because what I'd said they felt articulated what they felt about other unfairnesses in their lives. And they wrote to me, hundreds of them, thousands of them, people like me, sure, gay people, but also people in wheelchairs, uh, people with autism, deaf people, fat kids in school, people of color, they wrote to me and told me their stories. They were taking a stand. This deluge was utterly and totally unexpected, but it was also inspiring and maddening and thrilling and wonderful and scary and a terrifying responsibility and occasionally devastating. It was life-changing, I mean, literally 
life-changing. It was powerful, and it was the power of taking a stand. Thank you.